Hello and welcome to the Skeleton Factory Podcast, episode 53. This is Adam coming to you from Austin, Texas, and today I'll be taking a look at the 2023 film Infinity Pool, as well as the 1994 independent film Killing Zoe. All right. Let's get right into it, shall we? Let's see. I went and saw um, Infinity Pool in theaters. At this point, it's been out for probably a couple of weeks now. I was pretty stoked to see it. Uh, Infinity Pool, uh, directed by Brandon Cronenberg. I was um, a big fan of his last film, Possessor, that came out a few years ago. And I like Possessor a lot. That's some very interesting themes. Brandon Cronenberg is uh, the son of David Cronenberg, the famous David Cronenberg. And if you don't know David Cronenberg, he came to, uh, came to prominence in the 80s with such films as Videodrome. Scanners, as well as uh, Dead Ringers, Naked Lunch. A brilliant, brilliant director. Um, he's mostly known for sort of his body horror, kind of pseudo science fiction y type uh, films. And if I had to recommend. If you've never seen any of David Cronenberg's films, I'd say uh, go watch Videodrome. It's a big favorite of mine. I love that film. Um, starring, starring James Woods and Debbie Harry from the band Blondie. But uh, Brandon Cronenberg uh, also is a, uh, is a film director. And I've only seen... Besides Infinity Pool, I've only seen Possessor. Those are the only two films of his I've actually uh, seen. So going into Infinity Pool, I was uh, excited. So I saw the trailer, and the trailer was... <laughs> I, I, I find nowadays that I am becoming more and more susceptible to movie trailers... Uh, especially if they're more sort of indie films. I, I think indie films, uh, I don't know. I guess for me, I guess they're a little harder to read than sort of like the big, huge, massive um, movies. I think big, massive movies, I think I can have a little more of a, I can get a beat on. Probably because there's probably more of an emphasis on the type of movie that big mainstream movies are, and they're not so much um, focused on the performers in the movie. You know what I mean? It's like when you, if like, let's say you watch uh, like a Marvel film of some kind, like you're watching, you're watching a, Avengers movie or you're watching a fucking Spider-Man movie and like whoever's actually playing them like 
who is it? Tom Holland's the new Spider-Man. Like you're like you don't think to yourself, I'm going to see the new Tom Holland movie. Like that never enters your mind. It's like I'm going to go see Spider-Man because those movies are directed towards children, and children don't really have an interest in actual actors <laughs> at all because they're children. Of course they are, but. Yes, uh, Infinity Pool. Let's just jump right into the movie, okay? <laughs> Infinity Pool did... Uh, uh, I, well, basically my point is Infinity Pool got me with the trailer. Uh, mostly because of the name recognition of Brandon Cronenberg. You know? But let's see, Infinity Pool... Uh, it stars Alexander Skarsgård from the Skarsgård family fame. There's a whole bunch of them, a whole bunch of uh, uh, Skarsgårds. One of them is uh, Pennywise in the It movies. He's also in, whatchamacallit, I don't know, that movie I can't think of that I uh, reviewed. <laughs> um, Alexander Skarsgård. Alexander Skarsgård, who you'll know from uh, such films as uh, Battleship. You remember Battleship? He was in that. Um, So he plays sort of a beta cuck wannabe uh, writer who fits the modern day definition of a useless white man who marries into a rich family. His character... Is uh, I'm I'm just gonna call him Alexander Skarsgård. Like I don't, I don't know. I don't find that I'll I'll probably call most people by their actor name and not their character name uh, because I just, uh, it's just that's what I'm gonna do. So Alexander Skarsgård uh, marries into a rich family and he's very dismissive of his wife, his very lovely wife, played by Cleopatra Coleman, who you'll know from. The film Step Up Revolution. Okay, that's everyone's favorite Step Up movie. So, of course, you know who Cleopatra Coleman is, obviously. And the two of them are married. And they just, um, well, Cleopatra Coleman, that is. She just wants to have fun while the two of them are on vacation on the fictitious island country of Latolka, which is somewhere in Southeast Europe. Um, the where this is supposed to well, where it actually takes place in in like real life, like where it was shot, was in Croatia and Hungary. But uh, Latolka is eh, it's not too specific where it is because it's imaginary; it's not a real place, so you can kind of get away with stretching exactly like where it is specifically. It's like is it in the South Pacific is it? Is it somewhere in the Virgin Islands or is it near Hawaii? Is it, we don't really know. But um, I'm just gonna assume that it's in since Latolka was shot in half Croatia and half uh, Hungary that it's somewhere out there in um, Southeast Europe. So there's a scene where they're at breakfast at the this resort on the fictional island and they're at breakfast and Cleopatra Coleman suggests that they go 
to a local Chinese restaurant uh, for dinner. And the place is supposed to be great. And Alexander Skarsgård shoots down the idea because he figures, um, how could a how could a Chinese restaurant on a fictitious island in and around Hungary or Croatia be any good, babe? And this kind of takes the wind out of her cells. And she's like, well, I guess I'll just go fuck myself then. You know? And he's very dismissive of his wife. And not long after this, we meet Mia Goth. And Mia Goth is... Uh, who was in uh, Ty West film X and uh, Pearl. Both films I cover on, um, well, X I covered on a regular episode of Skeleton Factory, and then uh, Pearl I covered on a Skeleton Factory Patreon episode. So if you listen to the show, you may have listened to both. And if you haven't, then go find the other one so you can... uh, hear this exciting conclusion to those two films and my perspective on it. Now, Mia Goth, who once again successfully lands a role of a character with no eyebrows, which is tremendous. Uh, Mia Goth doesn't have eyebrows, and I haven't got a satisfying answer to why is, why is that the case. Now, I've come across two types of people in the world, okay? And I've found this interesting because I talk about movies with people all the time. And some people say, well, she has very light colored eyebrows. They're very light color. They're like almost albino white against her white albino like skin. I don't see that at all. I see someone with no eyebrows. And I've talked to people who agree with me that, oh, no, Mia Goth has no eyebrows. Like she was born without eyebrows. Or um, like, or maybe she just doesn't have eyebrows. Like, like Whoopi Goldberg shaves off her eyebrows entirely. She doesn't even paint new ones on. She just has no eyebrows. Or like Bob Geldof and the Pink Floyd The Wall movie. Just shave your eyebrows off one day. Um, you know what I saw last night? Because I wanted to watch something really goofy with the with the wife. We watched Jackass. 4.5, I think it's called. And um, it's funny. I like the Jackass movies. They're absurd and gross. And it's like punch people in the balls humor. And I like it a lot. And there's a scene where Steve-O, everyone knows Steve-O. Uh, Steve-O puts like uh, wax like hair removal wax and like those little strips that you use to peel off the wax on his eyebrows, but he connects like string to the the strips. And then the string is connected to two large birds. And then the birds go to fly away and it just rips his eyebrows off. Hilarious. We laughed our balls off. You know, um, basically what I'm saying is me and God has no eyebrows and I don't understand why nobody on the production of any of these films is like, okay, well in this film, your, your character has eyebrows, 
It helps with the emoting process. But that doesn't happen. So, uh, Mia Goth, she, uh, so basically, uh, Cleopatra Coleman kind of goes away because Alexander Skarsgård's kind of, he's sort of a wet blanket of a husband. And she goes and befriends Alexander Skarsgård. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård, uh, his character writes, he wrote like one book years ago. And Mia Goth's like, oh my God, I read your book. And I loved it. And he's like, oh my God. He's like, someone read my book? Oh my God, that's amazing. So um, he's already kind of uh, flattered. You know, he's easily flattered. So uh, Mia Gosling's are gushing over the one book he wrote six years ago. And um, she takes advantage of the fact that he's all flattered and and, and invites him and uh, his wife, Cleopatra Coleman. I'm going to call her just Miss Cleo from this point on. So she invites Alexander Skarsgård and Miss Cleo um, to go out to dinner with uh, her and her husband, Alban. Who's, you know what? There's going to be a lot of people in this movie who I'm just, I don't know. They're, they're sort of generic characters. And I'm not really going to get into who, what the actors' names are or their characters because they don't matter in context to the story. I'm sure they are wonderful actors, and most of the people in the movie are pretty—they're pretty decent actors. But uh, I don't feel compelled to put any real emphasis on them. They're just sort of there. So Mia Goth uh, and and her husband Albin. Uh, invites Alexander Skarsgård and Miss Cleo out to dinner. And ironically, they go to that Chinese restaurant that uh, Miss Cleo uh, <laughs> brought up earlier. They go out to dinner and they, you know, they get to know each other a little bit. And they uh, they invite uh, uh, Alexander Skarsgård and Miss Cleo out to a day at the beach the next day. And they're like, hey, we're going out to the beach. You guys should come with us. Um you know, we got a we got a nice uh, convertible that we can take a you know drive down by the ocean, and we have lots of alcohol. It'll be a good time. Come, you know, you should come with us. And they take them up on the offer. Now, it's forbidden for guests of the resort to leave the grounds, since the rest of the island is sort of a third world shithole. And I've. And this is true. Like, I don't really travel to uh, third world countries. That's not really my thing. <laughs> but my a dear friend of mine does. And I believe he went to a Club Med somewhere in Mexico. And I guess wherever the Club Med was had a similar thing where they're like, you can't leave the grounds of the resort because it's fucking dangerous and you you might get abducted by the cartel and if you get abducted or something bad happens to you like we're not coming to find you no one's coming to rescue you so stay at the resort have a good time that's sort of the rule and that's the rule of the resort in the movie but uh, apparently Mia Goth and her husband and Alexander Skarsgård and Miss Cleo they're no matter with that, we're we're going out to the beach, even though we're not supposed to. So they drive down to the beach, and while at this sort of lonely beach where there's like burned up cars just chilling on the beach for some reason, 
Um, Alexander Skarsgård goes to take a piss in a nearby wooded area. When suddenly Mia Goth appears uh, out of nowhere and like jerks him off to his surprise, obviously, because every usually when you're taking a piss, you don't expect someone to come over and give you a reach around. Which is weird because if you were drinking a lot of you're just drinking a lot on the beach and you really had to pee, the like I don't okay, this is for all the women out there who may not understand this. The last thing that you want as a man when you're taking a piss is to get jerked off. Like you're rather peeing or you're engaging in some sort of sexual activity. You're not doing both. Cause peeing with an erection is incredibly uncomfortable. It's possible. It's definitely possible. Believe me, but it's not an optimal position to be in. Okay. So I found that to be a little weird. Um, but you know, I've seen people jerk off in movies. So this scene was not exactly like shocking to me or anything like that, but it does establish that, uh, Mia Goth has some kind of loose morals when it comes to other women's husbands. So she jerks him off and, uh, but it's their little secret, you know? So night falls and they're still at the beach and, and Alex is sort of elected to drive back to the resort and everyone is hammered and conveniently while they're driving back to the resort, it's completely dark outside and the headlights begin to flicker out on the car. And Alexander Skarsgård can't really see the road. And the lights are kind of like flicking off. And then they just turn off. But the car is still working. Which is weird because your headlights are controlled by your battery. I mean, I guess it's possible that something can happen where your lights go out. And it's not because of the battery, but... I don't know. I'm not a car guy. I don't really know. But he's driving and he can't see the road. So, oh, also everyone is conveniently asleep in the back seat, by the way. Everyone's just drunk and passed out except for him. So he's messing with the the switch to the, you know, to turn back on the headlights when magically the, the headlights come back on. Just in time for a lonely man walking in the road to get hit and killed by the car. It kind of reminded me of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. When, you know, he's he's driving the convertible. And Mickey, the escape convict, is asleep next to him. And um, Pee-wee, like, flies off the road. It kind of reminded me of that. So, I was actually kind of giggling most of the movie. Not at, like, awkward things like me, goth, jerking off Alexander Skarsgård or... And it, like, I was kind of laughing at all the inappropriate times to laugh because there was all these sort of like weird, cringy moments that everyone took really seriously, but I just couldn't. <laughs> so, and um, this was one of them. When they hit the guy with the car, I was like giggling to myself. So they hit and kill the guy, and the group wakes up and they all get out of the car and they're all freaked out and. They're basically like, look, we're in the middle of nowhere, and we can't report this. We can't call the cops, um, because we'll all be in fucking trouble, and this is not the country to get in trouble in. So the group, 
they basically all agree in a panic to get back in the car and just leave. Okay, no one saw the guy get hit. There's no one around. He probably won't be found. You know, till the next day. You know, fuck it. We it, it we're better off doing a hit and run than sitting here and facing the consequences. So they leave and try to pretend to try to forget everything that just transpired happened. Um, oh, yes, this comes up because, okay, so the penalty for murder on the island country of Latolka is not only death. So they have a death penalty there. It's not only death, but you also you get executed by the eldest son of the person that you kill. Does that make sense? So the state basically kills you, but but instead of having someone execute you who works for a prison or whatever, an executioner, the executioner is actually a member of the family of the person you killed, but it's specifically the eldest son. And they made it a point to mention that, to say that. But I'm sitting there thinking, what if you run over someone who doesn't have children? Because some people don't have children. What if you hit someone who doesn't have children and you get caught? Who executes you then? What if you kill a child? Children don't have children. Who kills you then? I don't know. All these questions were running through my head. So they get back to the resort, which is secured with tall metal fences wrapped in razor wire. Okay. Which is weird to me. They, so they leave the compound with a car and no one seems to notice or care, even though it's against the resort's rules. Which is f- funny, considering later, when they return, the gate is guarded by hey, heavily armed men standing behind a giant fence covered in barbed wire. I don't know. It seemed, it seemed like they left a little too easy. But, you know, when they get back to the fence, they're like, hey, let us in. And they're like, what the fuck are you doing on the outside of the fence? You're, you're not supposed to leave the resort. And they're like, I know we broke the rules and we're sorry. Can you please let us in? Look, here's our hotel key cards where we're supposed to be in there. And the security is just like, okay, we'll let you in, but you're not supposed to be doing this. And so the, I'm like, all right, fucking some half-ass fucking security there. So at this point in the story, here's when things start to get a little Cronenbergy, okay? If you know what I mean. This is where things start to get a little strange. The next day, the Latolka police show up and arrest uh, Skarsgård and Miss Cleo. They come to their hotel room and they arrest them. The cops tell them that they can either... <laughs> be executed by the murdered guy's eldest son or the popo offers a deal to uh, people such as them. And by that, I mean uh, people with money. 
for a price, you can pay for an exact duplicate, a clone, a replicant of you that will take your place during the execution. (laughs) Does the family of the victim know this? See, this is all the questions that are going through my head. So they're basically, okay, so cops come, arrest them. They're like, look, we know you murdered that guy. And it may have been on accident, may have been on purpose. It was probably on accident, but we have rules here. And the rules are if you murder someone, even if it's an accident, it's the death penalty. So this guy has children. He has an oldest son. And now you're going to be fucking executed unless you can pay for the state to create a perfect replicant of you. And that replicant will sit in your place during the execution. I'm like, at this point, I'm like, okay, I'm so far. I'm still on board. I'm still on board with what's going on. I'm like, all right, seems a little strange, but okay. I'm, I'm, I'm down to see where this goes, but I'm, I'm still thinking like, does the family of the victim know this? Do they know that a replicant, a copy of the person who killed their loved one, do they know that they can pay to basically walk scot-free to possibly kill more people? I don't know. And too many, too many questions. And there was too many little gaps going on where I had time to actually think about these things and kind of think about the logic that they're establishing. Now, some people may say, Hey, Adam, you know what? A lot, a lot of Cronenberg movies, there's lapses of logic, but they're in service of this weird world that, well, I mean, I guess whatever Cronenberg movies that you're watching, like maybe it's like, let, like, let that go. Don't get too logical. And I'm like, I'm trying not to get too logical. I'm trying to follow the logic of the world that this movie takes place in, but it's logic keeps moving the goalposts around. So it's messing with my expectations of what and what is not possible in a way where I'm starting to not care about what's going on. So since Alexander Skarsgård's beautiful, wealthy wife of color has lots of money to burn because it's a whole thing they set up where her uh, Cleopatra Coleman's father owns like a publishing company. Okay. He's very well off. And she married this sort of aspiring author, but he's kind of a loser. He's not a very good writer. And there's sort of this air of like, well, did he actually get his book deal because he wrote a good book or because he married (laughs) into a family that owns a publishing company? It's sort of like, "Mm, we don't really know, but, uh, Cleopatra Coleman, she's got a lot of money to burn. So they pay to have a duplicate made for execution. Now, somehow they know that it's only Alexander Skarsgård who was behind the wheel of the car and ran over the dude. How they know that don't know because there's okay. Remember there's 
Cleopatra, Miss Cleo's in the car, right? Asleep. Mia Goss in the car, asleep. And her husband, uh, Albin's in the car, asleep. So it could have been any one of them. It could have been all of them. I mean, just the fact that they're in the car, aren't they somehow culpable? It's not like Alexander Skarsgård rented the car. It's like, but somehow they know that he was behind the wheel of the car. So he's the one who's got to fucking be executed. Okay. And I mean, so yeah, they, they pay to have a duplicate made for execution, but it, is it not weird that if you have a secret technology that makes a fully functional copy of anyone, why go to the trouble just to execute them? Like, do the duplicates have a short lifespan like replicants in Blade Runner? Um, it's kind of like... Have you ever seen uh what should I call it? There's this there's this thing being worked on in the world where they're trying to uh science, let's just call it science. And scientists that work in science, they're working on creating meat that's actually meat for consumption. But that meat is obtained by not having to kill a living animal. Okay, because if you want meat, you got to kill something. So there's actually meat being developed right now. Not like Beyond Meat or Tofurky or some fake meat. It's like real meat, but it's made in a lab where the, the you, t- you completely remove the whole like animal husbandry slaughterhouse uh, part of the equation. You just remove that. Okay. So I'm thinking, I'm like, is it, is it like, is it it like that with people in this world where it's like, okay, well maybe you can make a replicant, but does the replicant live that long? Is it, is it, is it have the same intelligence as the person that they're being duplicated from? Like, we don't really know these things. We just know that they look exactly like the person and they seem to be like a perfect duplicate. Like with memories and everything. So even the duplicate thinks like, oh no, I fucking killed somebody and now I'm being executed. But somehow they don't seem to know that they are a duplicate who, I don't know, it's weird. It's like, it's weird. We don't know exactly what memories they absorb from the original person. Like, does the duplicate think that they're the original person? Or we don't know. It's not really explained. So, but what, like, what if you execute an innocent person? You know what I mean? What if, what if you're, what if someone dies and somebody's like, and and the police are basically like, you're the one who did it. And let's say you didn't do it at all. Okay. And they're like, okay, we think you did it. You're going to be fucking executed. Like, what if you execute an innocent person? Then who's culpable then? You know, who 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 gets executed? You know, at that point, the police? Do police have the option to have a duplicate stand in their place in an execution? Let's say a police officer kills somebody, which in the world we live in, I think that's one of those fears that sits in some people's minds 
But there's police out there killing citizens. Okay, in this world of Latolka, if a police officer kills somebody and it was, you know, not justified, do the do police fall under this law of like, okay, you killed somebody, so now the family member gets to kill you. So it's, it's, but and can that can that police officer get a duplicate made? I don't know. Like I said, this this whole scenario uh, just brings up so many questions. It was it was it was hard for me to even pay attention to the movie, but I was paying attention. Believe me, I was paying attention. So, you know what? Else? And with technology like this, the Tolka should be like Wakanda. You know what I mean? Like. They have the ability to make people, you know, perfect. They should have the greatest army on the face of the planet. You know what I mean? You Like, Latolka should be able to take the strongest, fastest, smartest people on their island and just make fucking thousands of them, millions of them, and take over the world. Theoretically, right? I don't know. But... Okay, so we see Alexander Skarsgård. Um, so he, yeah, okay, so we see him get stabbed to death because when they execute you, they stab you, which is like, who does that? It's like, no, no hanging, no firing squad, no gas chamber, no electric chair. That would, that kind of, that kind of would have been cool to see, like seeing duplicates being killed in, uh, you know, traditional execution type uh, type ways but they don't they so alexander skarsgård he gets stabbed to death by the you know the eldest son who's basically a young boy um and we see him bleed to death but then i i started laughing in the theater when he's being stabbed to death because and i mean don't get me wrong like the movie okay so technically the movie looks great okay the, the scenes of violence, because when he gets stabbed to death, like it, you know, it looks pretty real. You know, the special effects are very well done. But he's being stabbed to death by this boy, and then he he, he dies. But then I started laughing in the theater when, um, okay, so when they execute him, they basically he's tied to a pole. With his hands behind his back, okay? So you can you can picture that. He's standing up against a pole and his hands are tied behind his back. And his he's just standing there. Like his feet don't seem to be bound in any way to the pole or the ground. Not that I noticed, anyways. So if you're just standing there and then a kid walks in the room with a knife and starts stabbing me in the guts, I'd probably, just out of instinct probably just kick the kid in the face, you know, just out of instinct, because someone's coming at you with a knife. I think that's not unreasonable. But uh, Alexander Skarsgård, his replicant, doesn't. It just stands there and gets stabbed. And once his replicant sort of succumbs to the knife wounds and dies, he doesn't fall to the floor. He just remains standing. And that's the part I laughed at, because I'm just like, okay... He's just standing there with his hands tied behind his back to this pole, and then he just 
he gets stabbed to death, and then you just see him, like, blood comes out of his mouth, and he slumps over. But he doesn't fall to the ground, even. He's just still standing there, and he's dead. I'm just like, did no one think that that is weird? <laughs> when people die, they usually fall over. Not a lot of people die standing up and then remain standing while dead. That's not really... That's something more in the realm of a zombie film. That's not something that really happens and in any other scenario. And the, I mean, and the actual execution scene was shocking. Like, you know, they don't really cut away during the stabbing parts or anything. Like you just see the, you just see him get stabbed. And just the fact that he didn't slump over, he didn't fall. He didn't try to, you know, twist and turn his body away from, you know, the knife. Like it took some of the shockingness out of the scene for me. Oh, as, as well as, (laughs) so, so Alexander Skarsgård and Miss Cleo, they're sitting in the room watching the execution. So there's other people in the room, you know, they're, you know, his replicant is tied to a pole in the middle of the room and there's a a pretty big radius of space away from the, the replicant, right? But there, there's people who get to be witnesses, I guess like any execution, but but he's not hidden behind like a two-way mirror or something. No, he's just sitting on like bleachers in the room. Doesn't the, whoever the executioner is, do, do they not see that there's a person in the room that looks identical to the person they just killed? Like, it's like, why not just kill the real person? And use the clone for slave labor or something. I, like, I don't... I feel like if you're going to go to the trouble to make a clone, it should be used for something. I mean, that's traditionally... Not that this is a traditional film, but traditionally that's the purpose of having the technology and the manpower and the time to actually make a clone of somebody is that they're typically used for, like, slave labor um, or they're like a... I don't know, they become like a sex robot of some kind. You know what I mean? There's none of that. Like, replicants made in this world are only for for the purposes of execution. So, after this, Miss Cleo decides she's going to leave the island. She has seen enough. Her husband is saved, but she's completely freaked out, and she oh, she conveniently, rather, leaves the island because the story doesn't need her anymore. And I feel kind of bad for Cleopatra Coleman. You know, her character only exists to be the wealthy spouse that allows Alexander Skarsgård to afford to stay at this swanky resort and pay off the government to have a shitty, her shitty husband. Like, she only exists to save Alexander Skarsgård's life. And that's it. You know, um... Oh, by the way, Alexander Skarsgård, he's going to continue to break the law as the movie goes on. And every time that happens, he he pays his way out of trouble. You know, but it's his wife's money. But but Miss Cleo, she just leaves out. She's like, I can't take this. This is fucked up. I'm heading to the airport. I'm fucking out of here. Which would be the rational thing to do. That's what a normal person would do. They wouldn't stick around and finish out their fucking vacation. 
But why why couldn't Alexander Skarsgård just be? That's, uh, why couldn't he just be like a floundering single guy who was divorced and maybe like maybe maybe he he maybe the one book he wrote was successful or whatever and he made a bunch of money off it, but then he lost half his shit in the divorce or I don't know something. I'm like, why did he have to be married? Like his the wife character is. It's kind of she was kind of pointless for her to even be in the fucking movie. You could have easily just been some young, rich, irresponsible single guy, or divorced, or whatever. But no, they they had to have you know his wife there. But but I mean, she's really there just so he has somebody to say lines at. You know. Um, <laughs> anyways, so she leaves, and he says. Um, you know, while she's packing, she's like, pack, she's like, pack your shit. We're getting the fuck out of here. And he's like, I lost my passport. And <laughs> she's like, what the fuck do you mean you lost your fucking passport? So he didn't lose his passport, by the way. And he's basically like, he says, like, go on without me and I'll figure this out and I'll fly back as soon as I can. And she's like, okay. See, that's not the reaction of a caring wife. Your wife would be like, no, we're leaving together. Okay, we're not separating, and you're coming back later. It's like, no, we need to get the fuck out of here now. That's what a caring spouse would do. And also, like, the idea that you lost your passport while in another country, now I just can't leave. I'm stuck here forever. That's not a thing. People lose their passports all the fucking time while vacationing in some other country, okay? It's like you go to a fucking embassy or you go to the front desk at the hotel and be like, look, my luggage is missing or I lost my passport and I need you to, uh, who can I speak to to get me back to the country that I'm from? Because I can't just stay at a resort forever, like neither one of them thought of that. He's just like, no, go on without me. I'll figure it out. And she's like, okay, not like, okay, you lost a passport. Let's fucking find it. And if we can't find it, we're going to find someone who can help us, um, get you the fuck out of the country. It's not that hard to get your passport fucking replaced. If you lost it in another country, by the way, it's not that fucking hard. So now Mia goth introduces, um, Alexander Skarsgård to some of her, uh, some of the other regulars of the resort who are like rich assholes, who are horrible people, who are like on their way to being a character in like Sallow, 120 Days of Sodom or something like that. You know, they're akin to the, the death cult in the movie Martyrs, okay? They're terrible people. Except their motives are killing for recreation basically that's who these people are they 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 kill while they're on vacation and they believe in nothing and they're they're like the elite hunting club from the hostel franchise you know what i mean like yeah which i get which makes it does make sense that okay you can't just kill people all the time okay that's like a thing with serial killers that's why serial killers take trophies from their victims Okay, they take trophies because they realize you can't kill people every day. Okay, 
So in between your victims, if you have some kind of token, something you can hold and look at and sort of remember the the murder, you know, that's why people take tokens, you know, little little trophies from their victims. So that's basically who these people are that um, Mia Goth introduces to Alexander Skarsgård. She's like, these are my friends. We should all like hang out together. And they don't seem villainous. Like they just seem like kind of middle-aged rich people's, you know, like, like somebody's parents or something. And they kind of come off like a generic gang from like a clockwork orange, but not in a good way. Um, they're just sort of like kind of hooting and hollering, um, sort of like drunk people being loud for no real reason or motive or they have no philosophy to what they're doing. You know, it's sort of chaotic. Uh, not in like a Joker way, because even like like the Joker just wants chaos, but there's a structure. <laughs> there's a purpose to his chaos. Even as much as the Joker's like, oh, I just want chaos. It's like, okay, he wants chaos, but that chaos will cause certain things to happen after that. So it's not really chaos. Um, if you have, you know, if you, if you have motives. <laughs> so... So now they have already done the, this this little gang of people, Mia Goth's little gang, including Mia Goth. Now they've already gone through the whole break the law, get duplicated, get executed thing. So they're already aware of this. Now Alexander Skarsgård, this is his first time. But they know that their wealth will always shield them on this island country in a way that maybe wouldn't in their first world metropolitan privileged lives that they're used to. But Adam, what the fuck is this movie about? Let me, let me, I'll tell you. Okay. I'll tell you. Okay. It's about a few things. One is um, there's a myth in the world. There's a myth that recreational drug use leads to some kind of state of enlightenment. Like the, the whole idea of like the death of the ego and letting yourself succumb to the, the DMT or the ayahuasca or the psilocybin mushrooms or the MDMA or LSD or whatever the fuck it is people are taking. It's usually some kind of psychedelic. And, and actually by, you know, death of the self, death of the ego, that whole thing, that literally happens in the movie. Like, it's, it's not like, it's very literal to me that like that particular theme is very literal. So the, okay. So uh, it's explained that there's like a line of dialogue where they're like, drugs aren't legal here. There are no drugs, but murder is somehow legal. If you can afford it, I'm like, why can't cocaine be legal? If you can afford it, that's kind of how illegal drug use works. Okay. It's not legal, but if you can afford it, you can get it. So, but there's no drugs on this on this island. No drugs. But there's this one drug that's like made from like fucking tree branches and roots or some shit. 
And it, it there's like a loophole in the law of Latolka where it's like, okay, you can smoke this one drug because it's used in some sort of religious practice on in this country. So, you know, there's a whole scene where uh, Mia Goth like takes Alexander Skarsgård and she in this bowl she puts like these weird twigs and roots and shit and she lights it on fire and then you blow out the fire and then you inhale the smoke that comes off and it's supposed to just fuck you up. Okay, let's get back to what I think the movie's about. So, <laughs> um, I think it's Brandon Cronenberg is making a comment about this idea that there are wealthy people in the world who believe that like doing doing psychedelics will somehow like have you break on through to the other side and make you some sort of enlightened fucking being and. I mean, there may be some evidence that uh, psychedelics will help people with depression or anxiety or being more social. And I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm just talking about the idea that people think like, I'll do drugs and my life will be better. <laughs> it's like, not really. Not really. Drugs are sort of a, are a chemical band-aids. Okay. That's my opinion. So that's what I think one sort of theme of this movie is. Because um, if you're just doing, I mean, I've met people who are like, oh, I do DMT like a dozen times a day, like every day for years. <laughs> just like, I'm like, okay, well, that, that's something else. That's just hedonism and nihilism, you know, like mystical hallucinatory drug for quote-unquote religious practices that they're doing it's like i don't know i i i feel like i and i don't know obviously but i feel like brandon cronenberg is making some type of um comment on on that whole culture of like oh i spent like five grand going on a fucking ayahuasca retreat in brazil or wherever the fuck they do it and now I'm now I'm a better person somehow. And I'm like, no, nah. like your problems are going to be waiting for you when you come back from from the jungle, wherever you're doing your ayahuasca trip. Believe me, your, your problems will be waiting for you. Uh, whether or not you're able to handle them better when you come back is probably based on other things not related to your ayahuasca trip. That's that's just my opinion. Uh, and that being said, like, I'm into drugs. If you want to do drugs, do drugs. Good for you. But, um, you know, I, 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 I don't need a guru in my life to tell me how to fucking live my life. Especially a guru who's, I did a bunch of drugs and now I'm fucking, I'm a brilliant guru somehow. I'm like, no, you're a fucking snake oil salesman. That's how I think at least. Um... Okay, another theme in this movie. Oh, by the way, there. <laughs> remember the whole like death of ego, death of self thing. Okay, that when I said that that literally happens in the movie, not just him taking that drug, but there is a scene where. Okay, so Mia Goth's little gang tells Alexander Skarsgård like, "Oh, we we captured this cop who was the one who." 
fucking got you in trouble and got you arrested, yada, yada, yada. We're going to kidnap him, and then we're going to fucking kill him. Okay? So there's a whole scene where they have, like, some tied-up man with a hood on his head, and they're like, all right, here's the motherfucker, and they take him out in the middle of nowhere, and they take the hood off the guy, and it's another replicant of Alexander Skarsgård. How they got that other replicant, I don't know. I don't know when that replicant was made. I don't know. But they're basically like, okay, Alexander Skarsgård, we want you to kill your fucking replicant. And there's a scene where, you know, he's hesitant to do it, but then he ends up killing his replicant. So he's killing him himself, you know, for the for the excitement and pleasure of Mia Goth and her gang of giggling, rich, middle-aged people. I don't know. But the, I think the second theme in this movie that, that I think the movie's making a con, not a theme, but it's making a comment about, even though it's like underneath all this layers of bullshit, is uh, the idea of like recidivism, like criminal recidivism. Like once you're ran through like the cr- criminal justice system, your chances of reoffending is closer to 50 50 than you may think. And I've read up a little bit on this. You know, I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I think I'm, I I might know a sliver more than some people. Two reasons why, uh, one being that I've lived in the Bay area where there's a lot of people are released from jail early who've committed serious crimes or there have, or they're just like, you know, there's like no cash bail situations or people, People who did horrible crimes and, you know, they, they're they briefly held and then they're just released so that they can go fucking reoffend again, basically. And, but that, also I've read shit from other states. I've read one from like North Carolina or something like that that says like most people on probation tend to not reoffend as much as people who've been like, because probation is basically like slap on the wrist. Like you fucked up, but you're on probation, but like. If you get out of prison and you're on like parole, you know, the chances of you reoffending is it's you pretty good chance that you're going to reoffend. And and but not on the not on the island country of Latolka, okay? Like because Alexander Skarsgård once he gets involved with me Goth's gang, starts smoking the fucking root drugs and you know, doing creepy crawl missions in the middle of the night with uh, with them. It's like, and he sort of becomes part of that gang. Like, all, they just reoffend constantly. So there's like scenes in the movie where they reoffend, they go to jail, they get replicants made, and then they're sitting like, they're sitting and watching their replicants get killed, and they're like clapping and cheering it on, and so they just reoffend constantly because they can just buy their way out of trouble, even serious crimes that involve, you know, corporal punishment. <laughs> so they can just reoffend constantly. And I think there's something in the movie about like people who just uh, break the law and can reoffend, but can somehow like wiggle their way out of, you know, <laughs> long prison sentences because they have money. There's something to be said in there as well. But I don't know, but what if you believe you are immune of pesky laws like three strikes and you're out and shit, you know what I mean? Which is what these characters clearly believe. They believe that they're sort of a, 
above the law because they can just buy their way out of trouble. And there's no lawyers involved either. It's not like, <laughs> you know, when they go to the, when they go talk to the police, there's like this one police chief guy and that, and the guy who actually plays him is like a pretty good actor. Uh, you know, it's not like they're like, oh, oh, I, I want to speak to my lawyer. It's like, no, not on this, not in this country. They're, you don't get to speak to a lawyer. You rather make a deal with them or you die. That's basically the extent of the, uh, the legal system there. And I think like the, sort of the third kind of theme going on in the movie is the idea that elites who can buy any excess or pleasure they want, regardless if it's immoral or illegal, they can just do it. And it's a thing that just exists in the world. You know, people want justice and put that in quotes. People want justice for all sorts of things, but you know, people who are, and I'm going to put quotes around people, elites who can just get away with horrific, awful, disgusting things. Like that's just a thing that will always happen always. And it sucks. That's part of life, you know? So, you know, and I'm talking about crimes such as the crimes of like, uh, like sex related crimes of the rich, famous and powerful, like, Jeffrey Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell, Harvey Weinstein, even Bill Cosby, R. Kelly, uh, Ron Jeremy, Alec Baldwin. Okay, these people who get away with murder, they get away with raping people, they get away, away with, you know, uh, you know, human trafficking and just a variety of awful shit. And they mostly get away with it. Now, the the people I just named, like those people kind of, or the people kind of didn't get away with it, right? You know, those are like high-level, fairly wealthy and connected perverts who got caught. But for every one of them, there's like hundreds, maybe thousands of others who won't get caught, who won't get punished ever, you know? And I have a, a theory, Okay, I've had this theory for a while. I talk about it on the other show I co-host called the Conmen Podcast, where things like uh, you know human trafficking and pedophilia and people like Jeffrey Epstein and you know awful people like that, like and people who are their clients. Like I don't think. We don't know who Ghislaine Maxwell's clients are. Like, she basically is spending, what, 30, 40 years in prison for sexually trafficking nobody to nobody. Like, and that's just out of the fucking news. No one cares about that. They they just, they get away with it. Maybe, maybe every once in a while you get some people whose heads roll, but everyone else who's involved in that chain, we'll never know who the fuck those people are. But... Back to my theory. My theory is that I think people who travel around the world who have money, um, maybe have some status, some power, whatever, people who travel around the world, I think they realize pretty quickly that like th things such as age of consent, 
age of consent varies. Now, most of the people who listen to this show live in the United States. In the United States, primarily, age of consent is, um, I think, it's mostly 16. I think a lot of people think that, like, 18. Like, 18, you're legally an adult, quote-unquote, but, like, age of sexual consent, like, it's 16 in a lot of fucking states. And I don't think people are aware of that. But, um, well, let's see, Brandon Cronenberg, he's Canadian, okay? He, he was, the director was born in Toronto, and, you know, his dad, David Cronenberg, he's, I think some people think he's American, he's not. David Cronenberg's Canadian director. And, like, in, in Canada, age of consent is 16, okay? Now, let's take the location that this movie came in, and I don't know if it was just, like, they were able to shoot there for cheap during COVID because that's when they shot this fucking thing. Apparently when they were filming this, there was a lot of stop and starts because of COVID. So getting shooting locations and all that shit together was a bit of a pain, but they shot it partly in Croatia and partly in Hungary. Now Croatia's age of consent is even younger. It's 15 Okay. And Hungary, the country of Hungary's age for consent is 14 years old. Now, when I say that to you with your, like, North American ears, that sounds fucking gross and illegal. And you know what Canada, Croatia, and Hungary all have in common? No death penalty. And you know who does have the death penalty? America. What is my point? My point is that I think that people who are feel like they have immunity because of their wealth and status can probably get away with reoffending and getting away with it and um, probably do a lot of drugs. That's what I think the kind of main themes of this fucking movie is. And anyways, the whole age of consent thing is uh, isn't that weird it's gross isn't it and some other countries it's probably even younger but anyways after there comes a point where Alexander Skarsgård doesn't want to fucking smoke the mystical root and be fucking breaking into places and causing havoc with uh, Mia Goth and her fucking gang okay so at some point they they turn on him so after turning on Alexander Skarsgård and they and then they end up there's they're they're tormenting him and and attempting to kill him and all this stuff they end up um I'm I'm kind of jumping around here so you can watch the film for yourself but uh they end up once we get to the end they end up just casually leaving the island and going back to the airport to you know, fly back home to the rich people lives with Alexander Skarsgård. Like they all, like everyone in the, every, all, everyone in the gang, even though they shot Alexander Skarsgård in the fucking leg and tried to kill him and all this shit. Once the, once their trip's over, it's like, Oh, we gotta, we gotta go back to the airport. So they all pack up their shit and they get on a shuttle and they take it to the airport and they all say bye to each other. And, and they're not acting crazy anymore. Everyone's like, Oh, what do you got to do? Well, I got work tomorrow and then uh, I got to do some housework and blah, blah. It's like, 
gotta go back to our regular lives. I gotta get my asshole bleached, and then, uh, but it's like every, it's like everything. It's like none of the other crazy shit even fucking happened. So they all say bye to each other, and they all fucking leave. But Alexander Skarsgård decides to stay at the island, like forever, I guess. And so the movie sort of ends where you know he leaves the airport, and then he there's just this shot of him. From like a distance, he's like sitting in a lawn chair or a beach chair, whatever you fuck call it. He's like back at the resort sitting there with like a fucking rain coming down on him and there's like no one around. He just wants to stay staring at a fucking monsoon and I guess reoffending forever and ever and ever and he's never going to go back home. Um, The end. That's That was Infinity Pool. 2023, directed by Brandon Kodenberg and starring uh, Mia Goth and Alexander Skarsgård. Okay, so things things about the movie. Um, I had to research this. Uh, Mia Goth's accent in the movie kind of goes in and out. Also, she's very generally annoying in this movie. Like... Like, annoying in a way that makes, like, Sherry Moon Zombie's baby character from all the, like, Rob Zombie movies seem not annoying. Like, she, she, like her character in this movie is, like, really, like, bad. Like, <laughs> well, the movie itself. Okay, let me just get to the movie. The movie itself, I find to be, generally, it's it's kind of bad. Like, the story's kind of bad, and there's a lot of just... Um, there's just a lot going on. I mean, it's it has good actors in it. It's shot very well, has good locations. It's just... But somehow it's just bland, and I don't want to watch it again. And um, I had to... like Okay, so I had to, re- I had to look up more interviews with Mia Goss. I'm like, okay, what does she actually sound like? Because if you're in a movie, and in the movie she's, she's like... I- Oi, I'm from London, and I have a London accent. But then there's scenes where she's just speaking like she's from fucking Southern California or something. And she sounds like me, but a girl. It's like, I'm like, wait a minute. Now, is she have an American accent, and she's doing an English, like a British accent for the movie? Or is it the other way around? I don't know. So I like looked it up, and I saw interviews with her. Okay, she, she, she has a British accent. That's her normal speaking voice when she's, okay? But in the movie, like, her accent dips out. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Now, usually I can kind of forgive that in some movies. Like, uh, I don't know, Ewan McGregor. You know, there's some movies where he doesn't have an accent, but then his accent will break through. Or, like, uh, uh, who's Wolverine? Fucking Hugh Jackman. Uh, Russell Crowe, people like that, or uh, Christian Bale. Actually, Christian Bale's actually all right. Like, he doesn't, he's very, actually, never mind. He's very good at not breaking his accent, ever, ever. But, um, but hers does, and I'm like, why are you breaking into, like, an American accent randomly? It's like, it's distracting. Stop doing that. Uh, the act, the other actors are not memorable at all. And they seem sort of interchangeable to me. 
You know, like I feel like you can pretty much get anyone who's a decent actor to, you know, play these people, but they're not memorable. They're characters. I'm not saying they're bad actors. The people who are the actors, I'm not saying they're bad actors. I'm saying that their characters are bland, boring, and not interesting. And, okay, so there's a cop in the movie. Okay, so every time they get arrested, they usually get detained, and they have to, you know, this detective comes in and talks to them and he's kind of ominous right and uh okay so the main cop is is his character's name is detective thresh and he's played by this guy named uh thomas kretschman and i'm not really familiar with him um he's kind of got one of those faces that seems familiar like he seems like a gruff kind of silver fox uh uh rough around the edges european dude with glasses, you know what I mean? But um, I'm, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything else, but he, he was probably the he was probably the best character in the whole movie, like the best actor, you know? Like, he actually seemed like a character. But Okay, so... Uh, because, okay, so when every time they go to the police station, they just talk to him, okay? You see other cops around and guards and shit and guys in uniform with guns and shit, but really every time they have to go there, they have to deal with him specifically. And I mean, he was great at playing like good cop and bad cop at the same time. You know, he's like, you killed one of our citizens and we don't appreciate that. And we have harsh penalties in this country. You know, we're going to sentence you to death, but you can help yourself out. You can pay us money and we'll make a replicant and then we'll execute the replicant and then you get to go free now. Now, what, like, what are you going to do? Okay. Like, he was great. Uh, Skarsgård's character, um, I mean, as much as he's in conflict with Mia Goth's gang, um, which is, you know, more of a visceral thing, like people shooting at you and people pointing guns at you and yelling and, you know, throwing shit at you, like, but really, his, his the character's real conflict is with himself. That's what the whole kind of, that character's real conflict was, which could have been explored in that sort of way, where, and in retrospect, like, I don't know, if, you, if, you, if you're like me and you just sit around and think about this shit constantly, you can kind of talk yourself into thinking that that's what the movie was about, was... A man who's kind of a loser who's trying to come to terms with, like, who he is and, like, what his point of even being alive is, you know. And, but, but, but his characters, his, his whole thing is, is, it's about a man who's in conflict with himself. And for being such a tall good-looking fella. He's, he's got those Skarsgård genes. Okay, those are some handsome guys that come out of that family. But ultimately, his character is an ineffectual fucking carpetbagger. Okay, he's... I mean, his character's not a great writer, not a great husband, he lacks backbone, and he's selfish. You know? And Alexander Skarsgård can't stay on the island 
forever. That's another thing that I'm just like, okay, so he just decides he's not going to go back home. Okay. His wife's at home expecting him to come home any day now, but he's just not going to go. Is he just going to stay on the island forever? He has no money. They established that. He's not the rich one in the family. You know, he married into money. You know, he has his wife's debit card. I mean, we never find out anything about, you know, uh, the miraculous and flawless human replication technology or why such technology exists. Like that's never brought up at any point. Um, Oh, one thing I want to point out, I thought was really funny was, you know, when the detectives like, you know, you killed one of our citizens, we're going to have to execute you, uh, but you can pay to get out of this little mess that you're in right now. Like, okay. So the, <laughs> When they go to, when they, when they, you got to pay first, you got to pay to get the replicate made up front. So they take him to like an ATM machine. He's wearing like this paper gown because he's in custody. He's like in this paper gown and he's with like his butt sticking out. And he goes to an ATM machine and just pulls out cash and hands it to the cops. He's like, here you go. I just thought that part was really funny. It's just like, okay. You have the technology to like make like replicants, but you can't just wire money. Latolka doesn't have Venmo, I guess. I don't know. I thought that part, I I laughed at that in the theater too. I thought that was, I thought that was funny. Um, You know, I mean, I know I've like shit all over this movie, but you know, I, I do respect Brandon Cronenberg for dipping into this type of, material you know compared to a lot of other movies that come out nowadays i'm glad somebody like him is making weird shit you know with high quality you know um casting crew you know i i do appreciate that and i do respect him for doing it but and I mean, I really liked his last movie, Possessor. I think it's really good. I thought it was really interesting. I will definitely rewatch that movie. But I, I just, I feel like it, you know, Infinity Pool just did not do it for me, you know. And that's me, you know. <laughs> this whole show, I, it's not like I'm, it's not like this is objective truth or anything. Like this is all my opinion and. I don't know. Infinity pool. I mean, I hear people talking about it. Um, like I work in a barber shop and I've heard people, you know, in the shop talking about infinity pool and they're like, Oh, it's so it's amazing. And it's so trippy and weird and fucked up. And I, I'm like, I'm like, that's people who are used to watching white Lotus and Marvel movies. Like, these are people who are not watching fucked up movies. Not that I'm thinking that, like, I'm super cool because I watch fucked up movies or anything like that. It's just, like, my brain is tainted because I've watched so much fucked up shit that when something like this comes out, I'm weighing it against everything else. Which I think makes me fairly objective because I'm like, look, I can recognize talented director, talented cast... 
technically well-made movie. It, you know, it's explores interesting themes, but that doesn't mean that all that mix gels together correctly. You know, it's, I say, I would say it's almost it's on the borderline. If, if you listen to the show, you know, I have a, this thing I call the us problem and the us problem comes up in a movie where it's in reference to the Jordan Peele film us where it's like, I, I, I explain it as when they were making the movie, you know, when they were like conceptualizing it, rather they would write ideas that they thought were good or interesting or cool on sticky notes. Okay. And they would take those sticky notes and they would put them up on the wall. And then after a while, the whole wall is filled with all these awesome ideas for a movie. Okay. And they stand back and look at it and they're like, holy shit, we're going to have, we're going to make an amazing fucking movie. Just look at all those cool ideas on the fucking wall. The problem is they didn't have any connective tissue, any glue to glue all those good ideas together. They're all just sort of thrown onto the screen and there's not like a cohesive narrative from beginning to end. And not that I'm saying that like not cohesive in like the movie needs to make sense because I said so. It's like, I'm fine with a movie not making any fucking sense, but there needs to be once you establish a world in a movie, like there, once you, you're basically establishing the logic of the movie. Okay. And you need to at least, uh, work within the logic of the movie, you know, otherwise it's like, there's no stakes. There's no, like you, you can't build any kind of, um, you know, you, you, you don't really care about the characters. You don't feel like they're ever in danger or you don't ever feel like they have anything to overcome ever. You know, if like anything can happen, then it's like, okay, well, then I don't feel invested in what's going on. If like, there's not at least some kind of logic to the world. And, but infinity pool, like I said, is almost, almost, uh, qualifies as falling into the us problem. Not exactly because I, I just think that, he had good ideas and they were all connected fairly well, but it just came out really bland. You know, it's like if you took, it's like, I'm going to make a sandwich. Okay. And you took like a really amazing sourdough bread and really expensive cheese and a uh, very expensive, interesting flavored meats and vegetables and, aioli and mustard and all you put all this shit on the sandwich that individually has like great flavor and is really good and good quality okay and you and you and you fucking take a bite out of the sandwich and it just tastes like bland crap okay can you picture this have i made my analogy clear enough <laughs> anyways like i said i i i do think Brandon Cronenberg is a talented director, but it's just, again, but from, you know, infinity pool is 
just didn't do it for me. And I also feel like Infinity Pool, it's, it's very, it comes off very try hard. You know, it seems like he was trying really hard, but it's like it was doing too much. You know, it's, it's subtlety. You know, when to kind of take your foot off the gas a little bit, um, you know, and let some subtlety come in, you know, like let the audience put pieces together. I forgot who said it because I can't think of the person's name right now, but they're basically like, instead of, instead of showing the audience four, don't show the audience four, show them two plus two. And then, okay, you know, you understand what I'm saying? And that's kind of how I feel Infinity Pool kind of uh, suffers from that. But for my sensibilities, Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor is fantastic. Great world. Very exciting. It's brutal. Um, you know, edge of your seat stuff. You know, has pretty has great tone very visually interesting it's got believable characters um i don't know so you know what infinity pool is sort of reaching for is is done so much better in my opinion um by directors like uh panos cosmatos or gaspar noe yorgos lanthimos and uh, alex van warmerdam who I covered his films NR10 and Borgman on episode 52 of Skeleton Factory. So you can go back and listen to that. Like I recommend, I do recommend uh, Alex Van Warmerdam's films. He's a very interesting director. And I mean, Infinity Pool is, I would say, is a good entry point if you want to get into more extreme films or the films by the directors I just mentioned. You know what I mean? Um, when you walk into these seemingly alternate worlds that sometimes don't make sense, but they make sense in the world, but your brain has to kind of reconfigure itself to understand what's going on in that world. Like that to do that to an audience is impressive to me. Like when a director can do that, you know, um, especially the, sort of the maybe not all the directors I mentioned but not so much like you know Cosmatos or Noe but um, Yorgos Lanthimos Alexander Van Warmerdam I, I kind of lean more into their type of movies because there's some for me there's something very interesting about a very clean sterile um, European uh world where something fucked up happens. Uh, I've, uh, Michael Haneke films are like that. Very sort of upper middle class professionals that, were, that are sort of like not the most you know people don't express a lot of emotions and everything is very interesting and beautiful looking and something completely fucked happens in this clean sterile beautiful world I, don't know, I, just, I just like shit like that um anyways infinity pool do I recommend it uh no 
not really. You know, uh, you know, put a little asterisk next to it, I guess. I'd say if, like, you've seen Infinity Pool because maybe you saw something else with, uh, maybe you're a Mia Goth fan. Maybe you saw the remake of Suspiria, the 2019 Suspiria. Great movie, by the way. One of the best remakes I've I've seen in a film. Like, definitely go watch the remake of Suspiria. Uh, oh, no, that was 2018. 2018. Uh, you know, and then maybe from there you followed her career from, you know, X, maybe you liked X, maybe you like Pearl, you know, like, yeah, watch Infinity Pool. You know, she's kind of racking up a list of these kind of horror films, these sort of new era horror films that are kind of have interesting takes on things. So, you know, if, if you're into Mia Goth, you're like, yeah, watch Infinity Pool. Why not? Other than that, I I don't know. I I don't want to watch Infinity Pool again. So that's part of my criteria for recommending movies is rewatchability is very important. So, but, you know, I don't feel compelled to watch Infinity Pool again. So, but if you liked it, that's cool. You know, I'm not going to hold that against you. We can still be friends. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, I want to jump into the next movie. Okay. Um, actually, before I do, I should probably bring up that, uh, I watched infinity pool and I didn't find it very, um, I, I, I wasn't super into it. That's two strikeouts for me. The last film I saw before infinity pool, I saw skin rink, which Sucks. I did not like Skinnamarink at all whatsoever. So having to go back in the theater and see something else that I, you know, thought I was going to enjoy but didn't is that's a bummer. So <laughs> I come home from watching Infinity Pool and I'm like, uh, I, I need to watch something else. I need to watch something good. And I remembered that I haven't seen the Jim Jarmusch film Ghost Dog. In a very long time. Probably since it came out. So I, <laughs> I watched Ghost Dog. Starring Forrest Whitaker. And I'm not going to review Ghost Dog. I'm just. I'm just this will be brief. So I, I watched Ghost Dog. And uh, I watched the Criterion copy of it. And watched all the supplemental material. That came with it and everything. And You know what? Um, for me. Fucking Ghost Dog just doesn't hold up. Like, it's boring. And Jim Jarmusch films is, are, are kind of boring. But in a very... But they're like a fun, interesting, rich type of boring. You know? They're not like a depressing, like, this sucks type of boring. It's like... A, it's a, like, I like Jim Jarmusch films. You know? I like Down by Law and... A night on earth and you know uh, even like the dead don't die I like that movie but and they're very kind of slow paced and everything everyone's very monotone and stuff but ghost dog and it has a few good scenes in it that I really like like all the assassination scenes where he's killing mobsters and stuff like I did like all that stuff and I I do like I like all the stuff where he's you know talking to the little girl in the park 
and talking about samurai novels and stuff. Like, I mean, I like that stuff, but from I was like, I don't know. I, I rewatched Ghost Dog, and I'm like, this doesn't hold up for me, which kind of sucks, you know? Something you you watched back in the day, and you really liked it, and then you watched it after some time goes by, and you're like, this sucks. <laughs> like, I'm not going to say Ghost Dog sucks. I'm not saying Ghost Dog sucks at all. I'm just saying I, I, I tried to, I, I watched it because I saw Infinity Pool, and Vin, Infinity Pool made me sad, and then I watched Ghost Dog, and then I was like, oh, this is not as good as I remember. So then I became sadder. So then I went and um, I went out to a local movie night that's done at a bar, um, a place called the Ballroom. It used to be called the Spider House. I just call it the Spider House still because that's what it is. It's this place called the Spider House in, uh, in Austin, and it's a bar, and they have movie nights. And the people who run it also have like, they sell like VHS tapes and stuff if you're into that kind of thing. So I went there and they were doing a theme. Um, they were doing like a sequel theme for uh, that month or whatever. And I went and saw Fright Night and Fright Night 2. Man, fucking, I forgot how goddamn good Fright Night is. It's really good. Starring Chris Sarandon, who you'll know as uh, Prince Humperdinck from um, The Princess Bride. But yeah, Fright Night, Fright Night 2, not as good as Fright Night 1, but Fright Night 2 is pretty entertaining too. That that was fun. Just sit in a bar um, with like a handful of people. You know, it's not like hundreds of people are going to show up to go watch fucking Fright Night in a bar. But um, that kind of made up for Infinity Pool and, uh, and Ghost Dog. <laughs> Watching Friday Night 1 and 2 in a bar on a weekday in the middle of the night. That was fun. And while I was there, I actually picked up a couple of VHSs. Uh, I picked up Extro 2 and uh, the Rutger Hauer film The Hitcher. The original The Hitcher. Because I don't own that on VHS. But um, Extro 2. Extro 1, I would definitely recommend to people. If like you want to see like Alien Comes to Earth and... It's fucking with people, you know. You have, you know, your ETs. You have your, you know, Predator. You know, uh, Starman. You know, K-Pax. You know, movies like that where it's like, uh, like a single family is affected by an alien that comes to Earth. You know, it's not like takes over the world or anything like that. It's not like that kind of alien invasion. It's like an alien invasion of like, like a handful of people. And Extra One is is great it's in terms of like a cult film that's weird it's a very weird movie but um it's it's entertaining i would definitely and it's extra it's like the letter x t r o extra i so i got extra 2 which i never seen extra 2 but i saw it there and i got it and it's basically just a rip off of like aliens i mean they rip off aliens they rip off uh you know, little bits of Blade Runner. But it's, like, it's so bad. Like, they have the same guns as they do in um, Aliens. You know, where it's, like, like the Steadicam mount with, like, a huge fucking gun on it. Like, they have that same gun. I'm like, dude, those are the guns from Aliens. What are you doing? You know, it's like... It's kind of a bad movie. 
but it's entertaining because you know there's a lot of dumb action in it and you know I don't know but now I have a copy of it so that's cool but the hitcher by the way is like excellent it's fucking excellent it's uh, I know they there's a there there was a remake of it early 2000s but the original C Thomas Howell so speaking of Blade Runner uh, Rucker Howard um, yeah Rucker Howard and the Hitcher terrifying absolutely fucking terrifying so yeah now I have that to add to my video collection I'm very stoked on that Ben that kind of all the all of the all that stuff kind of made up for you know Infinity Pool. <laughs> Another movie that made up for Infinity Pool is the next film I'm going to talk about, and that is the 1994 film Killing Zoe, directed by Roger Avery and produced by Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino and his uh, producer, a guy named Lawrence Bender. And um, so Roger Avery is probably more known as a writer than a director, this was like his first like film and Roger Avery and Quentin Tarantino. They won like best screenplay in 1994 for Pulp Fiction. Okay. So like, you know, especially at the time, like he's kind of a big deal and um, Roger Avery and Quentin Tarantino actually have a podcast together called video archives, which is named after the video store that, you know, that they worked at, you know, Quentin Tarantino famously worked at a video store called video archives, um, out in California. And that's like the name of their show. And they just talk about, uh, movies. So, which for some reason I haven't listened to that podcast at all. And I feel like it would be right up my alley. Um, cause I mean, I like listening to Quentin Tarantino talk about movies. I don't know about Roger Avery. I don't really know anything about him. Um, I would, I would love to hear Rob Zombie have a podcast about movies because I can listen to that guy talk about movies all day long. Um, probably more so than Quentin Tarantino. But Killing Zoe, 1994, starring Eric Stoltz, who we all know as uh, he played the character of Rocky Dennis in the film Mask with Cher and, and uh, Sam Elliott with his cool mustache and you know, he, he was the character of uh, Lance. He's John Travolta's drug dealer in Pulp Fiction, which was like, it's around it around the same time when Pulp Fiction came out and Killing Zoe came out. And, uh, and this is random stupid shit. A uh, little factoid. Uh, Eric Stoltz also was the original Marty McFly in Back to the Future. You know, they they shot a whole bunch of shit, a big chunk of the movie with Eric Stoltz as Marty McFly. And then at some point they were like, we're going to recast, even though we've already shot a bunch of shit. And they hired Michael J. Fox and then Michael J. Fox was Marty McFly and they had to go back and reshoot tons of stuff. But there, if you go online, there's there's I think there's some footage, but there's definitely pictures of uh, Eric Stoltz doing scenes from back to the future. So, but, uh, I mean, I like Eric Stoltz. He's a good actor. He's, he's very subdued. You know, he's not really, he's not, you know, the most intense dramatic actor. He's not 
much of an action hero or anything like that, but he's, you know, he's solid at what he does. He knows his lane. And, uh, yes, Eric Stoltz plays the character of Zed. And Zed is, um, he's a professional safe cracker. He breaks into vaults and safes and stuff. You know, he's a, he's a professional criminal from, from America. And he's heading, uh, out to Paris, uh, to take part in a bank heist orchestrated by his childhood friend named Eric, played by Jean Hughes Anglade. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Because my French pronunciation is fucking flawless. Um, but Jean Hughes Anglade, he's probably better known. Um, for being in the original La Femme Nikita. You might not recognize him because in La Femme Nikita, he's got like a short haircut. In this movie, he's got like cool, long black hair. And he's not a total psycho in La Femme Nikita. But in this movie, he's fucking intense. And if you haven't seen La Femme Nikita, uh, it's great. Fucking Luc Besson's La Femme Nikita. Go, go check it out. It's really good. They... There was a remake of it done also in the 90s um, called Point of No Return. And it's basically La Femme Nikita, but it's in a, an American version. But, La, uh, you know, La Femme Nikita is great. Uh, uh, Jean Renault is in it. He starred in The Professional, if you like The Professional. but And so the, so the character of Eric is, uh, he's originally from France, you know, but... The movie opens with, well, basically they're friends, okay? That's all you need to know. <laughs> so the, the movie opens up with Eric Stoltz getting into Paris. And once checked into his hotel, Zed enlists the services of an escort. Uh, who is the titular Zoe, played by uh, Julie Delpy. And... After some funny and playful banter, we get a tasteful sex scene as well as some um, sweet kind of character building uh, during some post-coital kind of pillow talk. Um, You know, they talk about like, oh... uh, what is an escort? You know, he's like, I don't usually get prostitutes. She's like, I'm not a prostitute. I'm an escort. You know, prostitutes have to fuck you. Escorts choose to fuck you. you know? Um, and they talk about stuff like, uh, you know, you know, uh, no weird stuff, no peeing on me. And he's like, really for fucking a thousand francs. I can't pee on you. She's like, no, I don't do weird stuff. No peeing on me. You know, and so uh, what else they talk about? They talk about how pro- pro- uh, prostitutes fake orgasm. Es- escorts don't. And, you know, she's paying her way through school and <laughs> just escorting to pay her way through school. And and uh, she also has a really boring daytime job and yada, yada, yada. So we, do, we actually get some character building and we actually start to like Zoe. You know, she seems like a like a sweet girl and... We get to know Eric Stoltz. He's not a psycho, you know. Um, you know, they, they, 
Zoe and Zed are uh, kind of adorable, and they're very mellow, good-natured pe- uh, people. If you ignore the fact that Zed robs banks and Zoe is an escort, you know. <laughs> but um, also, real quick, another Eric Stoltz movie that I completely forgot about that uh, I would definitely recommend uh, is Two Days in the Valley. Check that movie out. You know, you have Jeff Daniels, David Spader, um, a a very a very fetching uh, Charlize Theron is in it. Um, yeah, good movie. And Eric Stoltz is in it too. He plays a cop. So check out Two Days in the Valley. It's a good movie. It would probably be actually a good double feature with Killing Zoe. Two Days in the Valley and Killing Zoe. That'd be a good. Have yourself an Eric Stoltz night. That'd be good. So while Zoe, um, after they have themselves some, have themselves some sex, they Zoe grabs a shower, and uh, we get a knock at the door uh, of the hotel room, and we are introduced to the character of Eric. And Eric is, uh, let's see, he's kind of a, a party animal. He's prone to violence, and is probably suffering from a wicked case of Asperger's. Okay. So he's like an intense character and he's visually very intense looking dude. He comes in, he's wearing this like black on black fucking suit. He's got really long black hair. You know, he's sort of charming and handsome, but also comes off as dangerous. You know? And Eric, uh, comes in and they're like, Hey buddy, haven't seen you in fucking forever. So good to see you. And yada, yada. And, Eric figures him and Zed need some privacy and he goes in the bathroom and grabs Zoe out of the fucking shower and throws her soaking wet into the fucking hallway. So Zed is a little, he's a little crazy. So Eric's in a hurry to hit the town with an old friend and meet up with the rest of his, uh, the rest of his bank robbery crew right so his other crew is like these four other dudes whose names aren't really that important if you want to look them up they are on imdb they're all fine actors but um for the purposes of this review all you need to know is uh, there's four other dudes in the gang <laughs> but unlike the gang in let's say infinity pool this gang actually does come off like, <clears throat> excuse me, comes off like a gang from like a clockwork orange or point break, but in a good way. In infinity pool, they come, they come off that way in a bad way. Um, like they actually kind of seem fun, even though they're dangerous and wild. So Eric's plan involves robbing a bank like the next day, which Eric Stoltz is like, we're robbing the bank tomorrow. He's like, I thought we were going to have a few days to sort of plan out the whole fucking bank heist. And, and Eric's like, nah, man, we're going to do it tomorrow. Tomorrow's Bastille day and all the banks are closed, but this is like the only bank in Paris that's going to be open. So we're going to fucking go hit that one. And, <laughs> um, Oh, by the way, none of this, movie most of this movie rather not shot in france at all which i was sort of amazed by um like the opening of the film 
um, and the very end of the film, like the opening credits and the ending credits were shot in Paris. Like, and they were like, like they basically took a camera and they just drove around Paris and just were filming out of the windshield of the fucking car. So you can like see Paris, like basically the shot point of view of like just driving through Paris. That's, that's the only shots that they actually did in Paris. Everything else was actually shot in LA. So I was kind of amazed by it to find out that information, but so he's like, okay, where he's like, no, we're going to hit the fucking place tomorrow. And, and, and Zed's like, fuck dude, like that's not a lot of time for me to plan. He's like, dude, He's like, you know how to break into fucking vaults. You know, once we get inside, you'll fucking, you'll figure it out. It'll be fine. He's like, uh, he's like, but, but tonight we do heroin. <laughs> so every, everyone in the gang does heroin because that's what you did in the nineties. Okay. That's what you did. That was the last great era of, of heroin. That's how you get things like, you know, grunge bands, shit like that, okay? If you want an Alice in Chains, you got to have some heroin, okay? If you want to have Nirvana, you have to have heroin. That's just how fucking shit works. So these guys are like, okay, before we do the big heist tomorrow, we're going to party. We're going to fucking get fucking trash. We're going to hit the town, and we're going to do some heroin. So uh, everyone's sitting around shooting up, and Zed... uh, Zed opts out. Uh, he instead he he decides to chase the chase the dragon and, and and smoke some opium. So similar to Infinity Pool, um, you know, a bunch of people take some heavy drugs and go commit some crimes. Um, except in except in killing Zoe, they were like, you know what? We don't need to make up a fake drug, okay? You know, we're, we're going to actually, we're going to do heroin. We're going to say the words, we're going to do heroin now. Because heroin's a relatable drug. Okay, you say someone's doing heroin in a movie, and images and tones and textures come to mind. When you just make up an, a fake drug, you know, people don't, can't relate to that as much, you know. Unless it's RoboCop 2, Fantastic film. And there's a fake drug in Robocop too. You know. So anyways, the <laughs> they all they all uh they all uh, hit the town, boozing it up, taking some heroin, and they go to this bar that's supposed to be this underground, like literally underground uh bar. Um you know, and they're they're just banging smack in the middle of this like bar that's has like a Dixieland band playing like you know like horn instrument music and uh, the next morning they're like all right let's go rob a fucking bank <laughs> so because you definitely want to rob a bank when you're hungover and strung out from doing fucking heroin the night before okay that's how you am I the only one who's experienced like the worst hangovers of your life and you have to go to work the next day that next day at work is always like the busiest day ever and you have to like talk to your bosses with like a fucking sweaty face and you smell drunk still and that's that's why I don't 
I, I don't show up to work hungover because I know it'll be like the busiest day ever. So the next day they're like, okay, time to rob the Funkin' Bank. Now, while so they get to the bank and while Zed is in the basement of the bank breaking into the vault, because that involves shit, you know, he needs to put on like glasses with flashlights on them and he has like, He's got a giant drill and he's got all these tools and instruments and stuff. So he's down there doing what fucking dudes who break into vaults do. Okay. Eric and the rest of his crew um, will be gaining control over the bank. All the employees and the customers like, boom, you're all our fucking hostages now. Okay. Now, so once they get inside the bank, they corral everyone behind the counter. You know, they, they take everyone. They're like, all right, everyone's sitting on the ground behind the fucking counter. And, but when they come in, oh, oh the first part of their plan is they're going to come in and the first person that they kill is, uh, I guess, I guess the only person who has access to the alarm because, you know, every bank has that little secret button that calls the police in case there's a robbery, right? And they're like, okay, there's only one dude in the whole bank that has access to that button. And he'll be sitting at a desk right by the front door. So we got to hit him first. And we get that dude, then we can, you know, go through with the robbery uninterrupted. <laughs> so... They all pull up in a van, they're wearing masks and shit, and they come in fucking guns blazing into the bank. And the person who the person who's in charge of the alarm at the bank is played by Ron Jeremy. And I mean, as soon as they walk in, they were like, You freeze, don't don't fucking touch the alarm. And then they just kill Ron Jeremy. Ron Jeremy doesn't have a time to say any lines. He doesn't even get up from the chair he's sitting in, but it's long enough for you to notice like, Oh, Hey, that's Ron Jeremy. And then they just kill him immediately. I just thought that was funny. And Ron Jeremy, by the way, speaking of Ron Jeremy, uh, just today, according to the New York post, um, just today has, uh, been committed to a state mental hospital in California after being found incompetent to stand trial for many, many, many counts of rape and other charges. Okay? That's what Ron Jeremy's up to nowadays. I never thought Ron Jeremy was cool. Like, he was always in pop culture. Because they were like, oh, look at this fat, hairy guy with a big dick. And to be honest, and I'm not tooting my own horn, I didn't think his dick was that big. But he was everywhere. He was in Family Guy. He was in fucking Chappelle Show. He was in he was in one of the Toxic Avenger movies, playing a fucking kid toucher, by the way. And let me, um, fucking Ron Jeremy was everywhere for a while, right? And... Now that motherfucker was able to evade prison time. And now he's going to spend the rest of his life in a mental institution for rape, by the way, like, okay, the last I checked, and this was probably a couple months ago, 
he was facing something like 27 counts of rape. Like, that's, that's bad. It's like Danny Trejo and fucking Con Air. You know, he was Johnny 23 in um, Con Air. But, like, Ron Jeremy's like a fucking Ronnie 27. Like, that dude raped a lot of fucking innocent women. And it's like, instead of going to, you know, okay, he's in Southern California. Instead of going to, like, Long Polk Prison or... It's like he's going to a mental institution. Fuck. Not fucked up. Um anyways. <laughs> Alright, so where was I? Oh yeah, so they get in the bank, they kill Ron Jeremy, they have control over the bank. Eric Stoltz goes down to the deep dark basement and starts working on breaking into the fucking vault. And we get um we get inside and we realize that Zoe, remember Zoe? Zoe works at the bank. That boring daytime job she was talking about earlier was working at a fucking bank. So we get a scene where Eric tries to get the bank manager to open the vault, but the bank manager says that he can't. And Eric holds a gun up to uh, a woman hostage's, well, puts a, a gun in a woman hostage's mouth and says, like, like, you know, Mr. Bank Manager, if you don't fucking open this vault, I'm going to kill this woman. And the manager guy says, like, he can't open it. And Eric just shoots this woman in the fucking mouth. So realizing the manager can't or maybe won't open the vault. He just kills the manager too. And I guess he figured that it would, it would save time. Eric Stoltz having to like bust out all his equipment and try to open the vault. If the guy would just willingly open it. But the guy, it seems like the guy couldn't like, he didn't have access somehow to opening the vault. I don't know, but we also firmly established that Eric has, well, Eric and his crew do not value human life and will kill at will. Okay, they're not afraid to fucking murder as many people as necessary to, you know, get what they want. So so now Zed gets to work on the vault. So meanwhile, upstairs, the whole gang goes back upstairs and um, one of the hostages pulls like a gun from his like Sonny Crockett ankle holster. He's got, you know, I'm not sure if this guy was like an off duty cop or what, but dude had a fucking gun in an ankle holster and he pulls it out and he kills, uh, one of the gang members, you know, and Eric comes upstairs and is upset by this. You know, um, he's like, oh, fuck, one of our, one of, my, one of my fucking friends got killed. So, and I mean, the other guy's already killed the fucking ankle holster guy already. And oh, also, it turns out they, <laughs> they find out that um, the alarm was set off by Ron Jeremy before they killed him because they weren't sure. They were like, oh, there's no way that, the, that anyone hit the alarm. We're in the clear. But it turns out, uh, no, uh, the alarm did get triggered. And now the cops are outside. So um, 
cops call the, you know, call the inside of the bank and get Eric on the phone. They try to negotiate with him, but Eric isn't interested uh, in negotiating at this particular point in time. So meanwhile, Zed is downstairs working on the vault and is completely unaware that the bank heist is quickly falling apart. He has no idea that the police are outside, any of that shit. Then after some gunshots and some explosions, we um, we end up getting the vault opened up. And what's inside the vault? Gold. Gold, baby. There's just bars of gold on like a giant rolling cart. You know, like when you go to Costco and you can rather get a shopping cart or you can get like those like mini flatbed fucking hand truck things. Imagine one of those. With just a stack of fucking gold on it. So, Eric's kind of making the plan up as, you know, they go along. He's making shit up on the fly. And um, now that they have the gold, but they can't leave now. The cops are outside. So, he takes a hostage out in front of the bank and executes the hostage. You know, some poor fucking guy. And he gets on the phone and tells the cops that he wants a safe passage to the airport. He wants an airplane. And they're going to take all the remaining hostages with them, as well as the huge pallet of gold that they have. And the, you know, uh, and the cops aren't budging in the negotiation process. Okay. They're, they're not interested in giving into these demands, even though, they know Eric is completely willing to just murder hostages. So Eric figures he'll execute uh, a woman in front of the cops. So he grabs Zoe and is, he's like, okay, um, he figures killing a woman would definitely get his demands met. Okay. So he grabs Zoe and starts marching her towards the door. But Zoe kind of summons the spirit of like Krav Maga and grabs Eric by the balls and then that's enough to distract him long enough where she just makes a, she goes for the gun, goes for his fucking gun. And they're kind of struggling and wrestling for the gun. And she ends up shooting Eric in the foot, which is an, an apt idiom indeed for this situation, um, shoots him in the foot and then is able to get the gun away from him. And then she starts fucking running for, you know, for somewhere to hide because she realizes she's probably not going to make it out the front door. She'll probably get fucking killed before she can make it to the front door. So, so she, she tries to find some place uh, in the bank to go hide. And while all this is happening, by the way, Zed and one of the other dudes in the gang are now bringing this giant pallet of gold up an elevator um, and it's then that the, like one of the, the, like the henchman dude tells Zed, um, oh yeah, like the cops are outside and Zed's like, what? He's like, oh yeah, the fucking, you know, uh, the cops are outside, but, and we're totally surrounded, but it's okay because Eric will take care of it and, you know. He'll negotiate um, 
us to get a plane and we'll totally get out of here and everything's going to be fine. And, and Zed's like, dude, that's not good. <laughs> I wish I would have known this information sooner. So it's like Eric's gang, they're like unwavering devotion to him is absolutely incredible. You know, it's like he's a cult leader or something. So they, they get to the, you know, the, they get upstairs to the, the main part of the bank, right? And uh, they walk into the bank, the main portion of it, and the henchman guy sees Zoe with Eric's gun. And he's like, oh, shit. And he tries to shoot her, but Zed stops him, uh, giving her time to run downstairs and hide. And an enraged Eric sees this. And tells Zed, like, look, you're out of the fucking club now. Okay? He sees that he fucking jeopardized this entire thing over some prostitute that he met, like, yesterday. And, you know, and Eric's like, like, sorry, dude, you're out of the, you're you're out of the fucking gang. And he takes a fucking knife and he just cuts Eric Stoltz's face. Or Zed's face, rather. Cuts Zed's face and just throws him down some fucking stairs. So, Zed gets downstairs and finds Zoe. She tells him, like, they can go hide in one of the other vaults till help comes, basically. So she's like, you know, so Zed's all fucked up. He's bleeding from the face. He just got thrown down from some fucking stairs and shit. And, you know, so to her, it's like she, you know, she likes Zed. She's into this dude, you know, and and Zed clearly wasn't interested in watching some random fucking dude just murder her. So she's like, okay, come on, I'll, I'll help you get to one of the vaults. We'll lock ourselves inside and we'll be safe there. Now, at this point, smoke bombs are thrown into the fucking bank by the police because the police are coming in. Like they're not interested in negotiating. So the police come in, they end up killing the rest of the gang in like a shit storm of bullets. And Eric goes looking for Zed and Zoe and confronts them. And a fight to the death ensues. And Zed is, Zend kind of, he's kind of a pussy. Like, <laughs> like Zed is not like a, an action fighting guy. Okay. So, so kind of Zoe handles most of the ass kicking in this movie, you know? So like Eric's kind of beating the shit out of Zed and Zoe goes to fucking back him up. But so he's basically <laughs> Eric's fighting both of them. And, but Eric ends up getting the drop on the both of them. Uh, he manages to find a fucking like little sawed off pump shotgun. And just when he can fucking murder the both of them, SWAT team runs in. Okay. And they got their guns drawn on Eric and he goes to shoot Zed. I'm sorry. He goes, uh, yeah, Eric goes to shoot Zed. But the gun goes click. Gun's empty. And the SWAT team just lights him up. 
And even even the scene of Eric getting shot is actually kind of funny. <laughs> like it looks funny. Like everything just goes into slow motion. And so SWAT team kills Eric. And he has like a long dramatic death scene for some reason. Um but Zoe you know, once he's dead, Zoe tells the cops she has uh Zoe has Zed in her arms and tells the cops um oh uh Zed is uh, a bank customer. You know. She's like, I work here. This man is one of she's a bank he's a bank customer and he needs medical attention badly. So the cops just believe this and they go to help them. And while the cops are, you know, once they get back upstairs, the cops are scattered all around the bank, just collecting dead bodies and tending to the hostages. And uh, one of the cops is, you know, walking Zoe and Zed back upstairs. And they're, you know, the cops like, okay, just walk outside. There's paramedics outside. They'll help you. So they're walking out towards the door and she's like, do you want to go to the hospital? And he's like, no, no hospitals. So she tells him like, okay, I have a car outside. We'll go to my place. And she's like, I'll be, I'll nurse you back to health at my place. And you know, when you're feeling better, then I'll show you the real Paris. And, um, you know, Zoe and Zed right off into the sunset together. You know, it's, and that's the end of killing Zoe. You know, it was a um, a delightful little heist movie, and there's people double crossing each other, and there's there's a little love story sort of laced in through there. So, I guess if you're into things like um, true romance, I was I would even say Heat. If you like true romance and Heat, and every red blooded American or Parisian should love those movies. You know, here's sort of a low budget, I mean, lower budget. It's not like it was made for no money or anything, but this is very much a typical, well-made 90s indie film about a bank heist, you know, with young, sexy people being outrageous. And I like this movie a lot. I definitely recommend Killing Zoe... Directed by Roger Avery. I'm sure it's uh, streaming somewhere. I have a physical copy. Um, I have the Artisan Home Video Edition. And I uh, I like this movie a lot. And actually, actually this movie uh, inspired me to go take a listen to uh, Video Archives Podcast. The Tarantino Roger Avery Podcast. I don't know if they have an episode where they talk about this movie or not, but, um, you know, I'm still going to check it out. Killing Zoe. Check it out. Definitely recommend it. Infinity Pool, not so much. But uh, I think that's uh, I think that's where I'm going to wrap it up right there, guys. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, if you would like to keep track of me or get a hold of me you can do that at instagram at skeleton underscore factory you can also reach me on twitter at sf podcast atx and i also have 
additional podcast episodes on uh, Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Skeleton Factory. Become a patron and support the show. That would be greatly appreciated. And that's going to do it for me. Uh, I should have a new Patreon episode up in probably the next few days, so stay tuned for that. This is the Skeleton Factory Podcast, rescuing your movie night. One movie at a time. I am Adam. Bye-bye.